0: Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for T V Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fun programs to see. You're also Kate to like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, the Less of the Show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Calls joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week?
1: uh i'm'm I'm kind of tired and worn out uh it's been mm-hmm. an emotionally taxing week this week for me mm-hmm. with, for reasons I can't get into mm-hmm. um because they're not directly connected to me mm-hmm. but yeah it it was just it's been a long week so how how how's your week been it's
0: been <laughs> it's oh, wow. been yeah it's been a long week the um last weekend of course we talked about on the podcast last week we were both very excited about Wonder Woman. Of Course, I loved it, it was amazing. I, yeah, so wonderful. Um, and then this week has been crazy because I've been getting ready for um, this. This, as we record tomorrow, is my studio recital for the for this like quarter of the year, and so there's a, a lot, a lot of extra work, um, and a lot of extra teaching, and I'm also switching to a completely new system for taking like. I'm going completely paperless for all of my notes and lesson sheets and everything. So it's just been a lot of transition. Like I, and I, my summer schedule, I also work like 12 hours just about straight on Wednesday and Thursday. So, of course, this week, that meant Thursday. And Noel, what did I want to be doing on Thursday? You know me. What did I want to be doing on Thursday?
1: Watching TV. I don't know what did watching you want to do. Watching Comey. With... You're right.
0: <laughs> I wanted to be watching senators be badasses and ask uh, good questions.
1: Well, did that okay. not happen though? Eh. I mean, a couple of them I think are really in love with James Comey. Mm-hmm. I was really concerned that there was going to be requests for fan fiction. Uh-huh. writing's so good, Jimmy. It's so clear and it's so good. <laughs> and your your penmanship is really nice too. And it's just like, oh my god, get a room, guys.
0: Mm-hmm. But yeah. You've read
1: the we've read the same Shakespeare play. Oh my god. Hurts <laughs> is legitimately something that kind of happened.
0: Oh wow. Okay. That's <laughs> that's very because not only did I not get a chance to to see I was literally like walking in to teach as he was starting his testimony. Like I heard the beginning of his opening statement and then had to go into teach. And I got back from teaching significantly after all the the primetime like discussion shows were done. So I have no idea what actually went down and I will eventually figure that out. But yeah, so it's been, it's been sort of like, I've just been so busy with work. I haven't been able to, I've barely watched anything listeners, which is going to come up in our week in TV. It's a, it's going to be Noel carrying the team this week. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we did not have any dedication to your podcast. I like
0: know. Such I'm such a. I'm God, such that a. That you slacker. do all the work
1: for. We did not do this one thing.
0: Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> you, don't worry, listeners. There will be plenty of of opportunities for me to watch way too much TV this week. Just wasn't one of them. Um, what was been the highlight? Because and my like my mom keeps trying to get me to watch videos of like Trevor Noah and different people's like bits about the Comey stuff, mm-hmm. but. I haven't seen the Comey stuff, so I don't wanna watch the bits yet. Has there been right. a, a particular standout like like is there one I should seek out? Should I like go watch some of like a highlight reel of the questions? Am I good just like going to the, the I don't know, Washington Post write up or something? What should I be doing, Noel?
1: Well, I think you can I think you can dive into like some bits about it and probably be okay. Like Colbert devoted his entire monologue to it. And it was a pretty sharp monologue. It was really good. And so I think you could get away with that. The only thing I would say that you desperately need to watch is just the McCain segment. Okay. Because he clearly doesn't know what they were talking about in this session. Okay. They ha- he, he, he's under the impression that they were still talking about Hillary's emails and he was trying to make it about her email server, and even James Comey was kind of confused about the line of questioning yeah. that was happening. He was just like, "I'm I, I, I'm I'm sorry, Senator. I, I'm a little confused as to why you're talking about us closing an investigation regarding her servers when that is totally separate from the Russian interference and my relationship with Donald Trump's potential obstruction of justice."
0: Yeah. But
1: her emails, Kate.
0: But her emails, indeed. Uh, any other, any other media highlights that we aren't going to talk about? You know, this week. Do you, did you leave Wonder Woman like just a, a overly emotional, tearful mess? Like, like everybody that I know.
1: I wasn't like a tearful mess. No, but I, I felt pretty jazzed. Um, a lot of it had to do with the fact that I just. Ugh. I said this on Twitter, but it's just like complaining about the last act of any superhero film is just really tiring at this point, mm-hmm. but Wonder Woman falls into that last act yep. issue thing really, really hard for me uh, in part because it's all, it's also just the fact that that last battle is nothing, basically, compared to the other two battles. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, well, you guys underspent on your CGI budget, I guess, so that's why this looks like this. Yep. Uh <laughs> But overall, it was such a good movie, and uh, it was really funny, and I was really glad that you had the opportunity to watch, like, the 70s Linda Carter stuff, mm-hmm. since a lot of that, like, especially, like, in, like, the first early stuff in London, I felt like really drew really heavily on the Linda Carter show, and uh, yeah, so it was just it was a lot of fun, and I really... It summed up a lot of stuff that I loved about Diana, particularly like her compassion and her like, we're going to do this right now. And I'm not going to listen to you try and tell me no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've had it to the top of my pretty tiara (laughs) with you telling me no. And you can stay here. That's fine. This is no man's land. Have fun with that. I'm a freaking Amazon. I right. got I'm this.
1: a woman. It, it doesn't say no woman's land. It just says no man's land. I got this guys. Yeah. You guys yeah. just stay in your trenches. Yeah. I got well, this. <laughs> and just watching and
0: the the response to everything has just been so gratifying, of course, because it's I didn't have high hopes for the film because there was, of course, the Michelle McLaren was up to direct it. And then they're like, she can't do action. And we're like, have you seen Breaking Bad? Are you kidding me with this right now? Um, and so Patty Jenkins took over. And of course, she um a terrific director, but it was like like those early tensions of, you know, is the studio actually hiring somebody who's gonna do a good job, or are they just hiring somebody who's not gonna be difficult, air quotes, difficult, yeah. you know. So like I didn't have high hopes, especially given their track record. And so to then have it fulfill so much of what this property very specifically has the potential to do and to have this be the first super heroine. Uh, comic superheroine movie in this vein is just so so fitting and appropriate and then it goes and does such terrific business despite a re- rather mediocre advertising push on dc's part like it's just very gratifying um then then just the different things that have been popping up on social media the um the league of women writers did have you seen their fundraiser no no I haven't seen this yeah' it's something they've been partnering with with girls Inc which is a group a, a um a group for supporting um young women of uh from underprivileged backgrounds in New York I think it is and they they funded a this to like send them to a screening of of, of Wonder Woman and they <laughs> they just finished, I think they just got over ten grand. The but like the amount that they were shooting for to pay for it to to send this group of young women and and tickets and popcorn and that kind of thing was like fifteen hundred or something like that. And and they got ten grand. So the rest of that money is going into their their college fund thing that they do in that in that uh-huh. program. And so like there's been a lot of different really amazing stuff like that that I've been seeing around on social media, and uh, it's very heartening to see. Especially in the midst of so much frustrating politics, but yeah, yeah. Anyways, and yay, lovely news to our friends in the UK. Who knows what's gonna even happen over there?
1: Uh, May's gonna form a uh, coalition government with that party that doesn't like doesn't want Ireland to secede from the UK. <sighs>
0: <laughs> I don't really understand it. The best understanding I have of it is from what, having watched Borgen. That's Mm -hmm. the only way I have any understanding of what's going on in the UK right now.
1: (laughs) Well, she called for an election thinking she would get more seats. Yeah, and and they lost a bunch. And they lost, they lost, they actually lost like 12 seats, I think, or they only gained 12 seats, one or the other. So no party has enough of a majority. Mm -hmm. So now one of the parties, now May's Conservative Party is going to form a coalition with, uh, I want to say, the United Democrats. And they will not obstruct any legislation, but it'll be really difficult for them to pass any major legislation right now. And so that, that causes issues with, like, um, the degree to which she was hoping to negotiate uh, the Brexit uh, stuff and what they can do exactly. So, yeah. But, yeah, it backfired pretty badly that she calls for an election.
0: Okay. See, like, yeah. again, just this this notion that you can call for election and there's, like, everybody you get to campaign for six weeks is, like, so forward to us
1: over oh, here. Oh, God. But I love it so much because then elections don't last an eon.
0: Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> we're currently in the 2020 election cycle, literally here, so who knows. Yeah. But this is depressing. We have fun TV to talk about. We should take a break and, and come back with our weekend TV. Yes? Yes. Let's do it. This week at at the end of the show, we're talking Anne uh, Anne with an E, the new Anne of Green Gables adaptation, um, which is currently available on Netflix. So that'll be coming at the end of the show. But until then, we'll take a break and come back with our Weekend TV. We'll be right back after this. We're kicking things off with uh, Daytime Divas, which Noel's going to fill in on. Um, And then I'm Dying Up Here. Both of these shows had their premieres this week. Then I'll talk a bit about the Leftovers finale, The Book of Nora. Noel's going to take over for The Handmaid's Tale, The Bridge. Like I said, guys, I've watched so little TV this week. And Noel's also going to talk American Gods, A Murder of Gods. Then we'll both chime in on iZombie, Return of the Dead Guy. Noel's got the Carmichael show Grandma Francis covered. And then we'll... Round things out with Anti-Trebecca Germs of Endearment and RuPaul's Drag Race Gayest Ball Ever. First up, though, Daytime Divas Null. Um, you added this to our show list, and I was like, oh, okay. There's the, what is this show? Is this a network right. show? Should I feel bad that I didn't even know that the, or is it like a cable so I don't have to feel too bad?
1: Well, I feel like you should feel a little bad because it's been, well, I guess my question then becomes: how do you consume RuPaul's Drag Race? Because it's on VH1 and they've been pimping daytime divas like every commercial break that while well, I've been watching, watching RuPaul. So I'm not quite sure how you missed this.
0: I fast forward <laughs> immediately. <Okay. laughs> I never <Right>. watch
1: commercials. <laughs> okay. Well, that's fair. So, yeah, I typically watch shows like sometimes while I'm working and RuPaul's one of the ones I watch while I'm working. So I just let the commercials play. So, Daytime Divas is VH1's attempt at a sort of Unreal-esque show in that they took Star Jones' book, Satan's Sisters, which was about her time on The View, and decided to turn it into a TV show uh, in which Vanessa Williams plays the Barbara Walters-esque character, uh, Maxine. And uh, then they have a former child star, the young person, who's played by Chloe Bridges, who most of us will probably know as Donna LaDonna. (laughs) <laughs> from the Carrie Diaries, who's magnificent. Uh and then you've got uh uh Camille Gaudi as Nina uh, who's the serious reporter co-host that fills that niche. You've got uh Fiona uh Goodelman as Heather who is the uh whatchamacallit is it? Uh, is as the outspoken conservative the um
0: the pretty blonde, blonde well, conservative yes.
1: Right. Um Hasselbeck. Hasselbeck yeah, sounds Hasselbeck. right yeah yeah i i blanked on the name entirely and then you've got uh, mckinley freeman uh, who pl- fills in as like the whoopee the joy uh, as the comedian basically and uh oh wait that's not correct hang on no mckinley freeman plays maxine's um son no i'm thinking of tashina arnold sorry i'm just reading the list and got ahead of myself mm-hmm. uh so tashina arnold plays the comedian group of it And so the pilot is basically Maxine goes into a coma uh, (laughs) while getting uh, some plastic surgery done and everyone goes, all right, so who's going to get the left chair as to who's going to lead? So it becomes like this, it's supposed to be lampooning behind the scenes, power struggles and we get like little glimpses into each of the hosts lives and there's blackmail and there's affairs and there's drug addiction, but it's all not very particularly funny, and none of it's particularly pointed in any way, shape, or form, so it all feels pretty flat. Um, and even Vanessa Williams isn't, spends, like, half the episode in a coma, which is not how you should use Vanessa Williams.
0: You said that, and I was like, oh, <laughs> Vanessa Williams, awesome. And then you said she goes into a coma and was like, ah, that use of... <laughs> bring in the really awesome, famous one to be our lead, and then immediately have them... <laughs>
1: Suddenly. Well, she comes out of the coma towards the end of the episode. Okay, so she's going to actually be on the show, though. Right, but then she's going to pretend to kind of still be in the coma for at least another episode, <laughs> with everyone.
0: <laughs> okay, your description of the show so far sounds amazing, <laughs> but your expression on your face tells me not so much. So where's the
1: disconnect? There's no energy in any of the scenes. Um, and unlike something with, like, Unreal's, like, its closest comparison piece, is that while Unreal... Is clearly done on kind of a shoestring budget, but it doesn't look like it. Daytime Divas looks very much like it doesn't have a budget, <laughs> which is troubling. Um, but it's VH1's still like I think figuring out its original programming slate, especially its scripted original programming slate. So I imagine that they're trying to figure out allocation and money and that kind of thing. So it's not particularly good. I wasn't really captivated by anything in the first episode. Um, the Hasselbeck character, um, Heather, has a son who wants to be identified as a girl. And he's she is five, six, seven at most. And it's just like it's a little bit of a tension in this good Christian conservative family that's a secret right now. And I mean, you're seeing all this stuff like kind of pile up for like big reveals towards the end of the season. And it's just like, eh, I'm not excited about any of this. And I'm not quite sure how long they can sustain this as like a, a plot, plot, a plot device of them jockeying to replace Maxine as at the head of the table. Cause it's just like, well, I, I never really felt like Barbara was around all that much on the view so i'm not quite sure what what this is going for but i think they're taking trying to take like the ideas of star jones's book and she's an executive producer of the show and just try to dig into something and it's just like i think an actual debate on the view ends up being more catty sometimes than what's depicted in daytime divas which is not a good sign for me yeah, so the view should never
0: be cattier than your right, then, show.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think that's what it is. It's just like there's there's more energy in like an angry view discussion than there is in this pilot.
0: Yeah. That's unfortunate because even the same cast and the same setup, like with some money, like and the right writers at least. Yeah. That should be a good show. That should be a fun that should be like a perfect summer kind of show. Right. So that's disappointing that they don't seem to be, you know, like you said, capturing that energy and really pushing, you know, getting those personalities lined up in the right way for an entertaining, at least at least an entertaining show, if not a terrifically like, amazing deep show.
1: Right. And I'd be fine with entertaining. But I just I I couldn't. Couldn't get into anything with it, and that made me that made me sad.
0: Okay, well then how does that compare to one that I'm hearing kind of similar remarks about, and that's I'm Dying Up Here, which had its pilot. This is uh, set in the 70s, right, comedy scene? It's on Showtime?
1: Right. This is uh, 1973 LA, um, and it chronicles the lives of up-and-coming comedians who are working at Goldie's, which is a comedy bar that's run by Melissa Leo. Uh, and it's loosely based on uh, Mitzi Shore, uh, who performed a similar function in the early comedy scene. And the inciting incident for this is that Sebastian Stan plays Clay Apuzzo, who is a comedian who came up through this club and then not only got onto Johnny Carson, but got the couch call over after his set, which is a big deal for those yeah. who aren't familiar with how what a big deal that was when Carson call the comedian over to sit down and basically do an extra three minutes. And Carson's played by Dylan Baker in the show. And it's very weird. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very weird casting. Anyway, Sebastian Stan is also weird casting because I don't think comedian when I think Sebastian Stan. Yeah. And the little bit of his set that we see, he has no comedic rhythm timing to it. So I immediately go, how did you get the call up to Carson? (laughs) yeah but it also doesn't matter because halfway through the episode he gets killed by a bus and he'll recur as like a ghost that uh, talks to presumably our main female character who's played by Ari Grainer Cassie who's his ex-girlfriend and he pops up throughout the rest of the episode kind of talking to her cheering her on asking what she's doing and that kind of thing so it's a better vein for Sebastian Stan than having to play a comedian um this is pretty it's 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 okay um i wasn't grabbed by anything in particular with this one either i liked it more than daytime divas but it's got a lot of polish to it which isn't which you would expect from a showtime show at this point point. and the performances of a bunch of people are pretty solid um let's see who else is there uh that's on this um, um what's the leo
0: as goldie yeah
1: Right, Melissa Leo. Um, yeah, there's just a number of like really solid character actors and then a couple of recurring larger names, like Alfred Molina's on there as a mid-range ta- talent agent trying to get an uh, African-American comedian through the door at Goldie's and failing kind of miserably. Uh, but he's he's having fun. But Molina's popping up everywhere on television, <laughs> mm-hmm. it feels like now. So I, I can't really discredit this in any way and have anything really bad to say about it but it's just it didn't grab me in any way and I was just kind of like oh, this is fine but it, Showtime's programming has always just been kind of flat for me recently and I haven't managed to latch on to anything and this I think is another thing of me not latching on to it but there's there's good potential energy here and I think another thing that I just wasn't able to latch on to with it was the fact that a lot of it is exactly what you know from interviews and from any reading that you've done about when there's too many comedians around and they just start like sniping one another constantly and that's what half this show is is basically the cast sniping at one another as comedians and it's just like oh this is fun. I don't know anything about any of these people, but this is fun is kind of how I ended up feeling like I know a bit about Cassie at this point and that's about it. So it was very much a, here's the inciting incident for this character's journey and these characters journeys. And let's see what happens next is, was the pilot. And I, I don't know if I'll come back for a second episode. I haven't decided yet. The second episode was made available pretty quickly. It hasn't aired yet, but it was made available the same day. So, I don't know. Eh. Okay, let's does just any say, of this sound appealing to you? Of <laughs> course
0: not. No, like I'm not surprised. Let's just say that they have been leading with Ari Greener and Melissa Leo, and really, like nobody has mentioned. By the way, Sebastian Stan is a right. ghost. You know, like <laughs> it's the kind of show where Sebastian shows up to talk to his his ex girlfriend because he's dead. Like. As soon as you said it, I was like, this explains so much about what I've been hearing about <laughs> this show. Because that sounds horrible to me. Um, Sebastian Stan, okay, he seems, when I see interviews with him or just like when he gets the right kind of material, I really enjoy him. And I enjoy yeah. his presence. And then he's so horribly used. So often, and he's, he's in things so often where he's terrible or just not suited to anything at all. I have to keep reminding myself that I've actually seen him be really terrific. And obviously he's doing a good job somewhere to be getting all of these amazing, really prominent parts in, in, uh, in TV and in film. Like, they keep bringing him back in Captain America because, like, for some reason, um, and it's just very odd to me, um, uh, like when, like, like you said, I would never think stand-up comedian in the seventies, <laughs> Sebastian Stan. Like, yeah, I don't know anybody who would think that. And um, it would, I mean, maybe he's amazing, and maybe there's going to you know be new stuff that they give that character that you haven't seen. Obviously, I haven't seen the show, so yeah. You know, but you're telling me he's not particularly you know setting the world on fire here, and yeah. maybe there's stuff to come that explains why that casting. But you know. It's not been translating for me on screen with him most of the time. And so it's just sort of, for me, with that, with that actor, is always like that, really? It's like a bit of the Anvil thing. Him? <laughs> like, yeah.
1: Well, I think a lot of it also boils down to that his part's going to be more serious-geared than it will be, I'm going to, we're going to see him do a lot of stand-up. Yeah. Which is smart, because again, it was terrible. Yeah. I was just like why did this guy get cursed?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, but like that makes sense, but if he's supposed to be a ghost of a comedian that that ghost or that memory of who he was that our main character's mind is filling in the gaps for to have someone to talk to, should still have the personality and timing and sensibilities of a stand-up comedian so yeah they're more dramatic stuff but it does if it's if all of a sudden they're serious guy then it doesn't make any sense but i'm spending way too much mental energy on a show i have not seen and therefore cannot really give any sort of useful opinion on i just yeah nobody none of the reviews that i've heard so far have mentioned even mentioned sebastian stan once um Mm -hmm. so that's that's very interesting and thank you for for filling in that gap because all of a sudden, like I said, a lot of the things I've been hearing from you, but also from other critics make a lot more sense now. So
1: yeah. Um, okay. Any other thoughts on this one? No. Tell me about the leftovers finale. So just spoil all of it. So I don't have to watch it.
0: Oh, well, I'm not going to do that. Obviously I'm not giving you any reasons to not watch the leftovers. I will say it's been challenging for me to think about this in just by itself because All the so much of the discussion I've seen around the leftovers finale has been couched in an assumption that people don't like the lost finale and like a compare and contrast. Um, a a notable exception to that, of course, is Mo Ryan, who's written some amazing pieces over at Variety about the last few episodes of the leftovers. Uh, highly recommended. Um, and and the piece she wrote about the finale, Noel, is uh. Um, spoiler-free, so check it out because it's really terrific. Um, it's it's about the show, but it's also not about the show. It's it's a really personal piece, and it's terrific. But um, th- this is a little... that becomes a bit of an issue for me because I loved the, the Lost Finale. So whenever people are talking about, oh, it sees everything that the Lost Finale isn't, I'm like, really? Because... I thought the Lost Finale and this finale both shared a really tremendous heart and understanding of what was important and what wasn't. And they're both deeply satisfying to me. Uh, they both subverted certain expectations. Um, yeah. So for me, this was a, a really terrific finale and a really satisfying end. Um Uh, emotionally uh, fulfilling, I guess. Like, It made sense that they decided at a certain point that the finale, the entire series was going to wind up kind of being about two of the characters and seeing where they find themselves and and how that positions the show as a three-season exploration of grief and loss through the lenses, ultimately, of these two characters. A lot of side characters, a lot of other subplots, but having it all come back to to Nora and Kevin made a lot of sense and I thought I thought really worked. It also let them spend another <laughs> episode just like, hey guys, Carrie Coon's amazing and everybody who watches leftovers is like, yeah, she really is or anybody, you know, familiar with the Chicago Steppenwolf scene a while back also agrees. Um, I thought that they um, I mean because I don't care about the plot, you know, that's almost never my main focus for a show and certainly not for show like the leftovers um i didn't really care that they gave somewhat they, they potentially gave an answer to the departure maybe kind of or maybe not um but if you want to take it as that then then you have an answer to the biggest question of everything um if you was it a giant frozen dark you will uh, frozen donkey wheel, of course, yes, of okay. course it was a yep. it was a frozen donkey wheel that then bit them out of the mailbox because it was also a snake at the same time. Okay, it was a, it was gotcha. a snake donkey wheel. Um, yeah, um, but but it just held true to what the leftovers has been for most of its run, which is a show very interested in loss, in grief, in acceptance, and the ability or the the healing power, but also the the pain that comes with trying to move on and what you can accept and what you can't and what is truth. And does it even really matter at a certain point? Um, It's an exploration of connection and, and it's just a, again, it's just a powerfully human show. And despite, you know, several locations, the first season is in one location. The second season is another location. The third season is half, between two different continents, you know, it, it really comes down to do you choose to believe and what do you believe and what does that mean? And, um, for me, it was very powerful and it was very well done. And I would have liked to have seen more of a handful of characters. I was very surprised to see a certain character pop up cause I was very confident that she was dead. Um, so that was an interesting surprise, but, um, Yeah, for me, it was just, you know, as somebody who loved the Lost finale and thought that it was a beautiful three hours of television, um, it's not surprising to me that Damon Lindelof and, uh, you know, his creative uh, collaborators can do a really good, really powerful, really fulfilling and cathartic finale. So I thought it was terrific, beautifully shot, um, and, and beautifully executed. So I look forward with eager anticipation to what the rest of this creative team does next. And to, uh, you know, getting to, I hopefully have some time off in between (laughs) the draining (laughs) shows, but also, uh, you know, with the, the overall success and creative, um, just, cachet, I guess, that The Leftovers gives Damon Lindelof. I really look forward to seeing what he does next, because um, he was, there was a bit of, uh, as far as I'm concerned, completely unnecessary, unearned baggage that came with the Lost finale and how Lost ended for him. So I'm very grateful that that doesn't seem to have followed him with The Leftovers. And so, a different version of the same thing he did (laughs) right? not that many years ago, is instead of being critically panned and too many corners of the internet, um, has been overwhelmingly, you know, accepted and loved. So, hopefully, that will lead to more interesting discussions down the line in whatever his next project is, as well as, of course, these terrific actors. So, um, and Mimi Letter, the director, too. I'm, I'm so excited for the, um, again, the cachet that this show has gotten for her. It would ne- be nice. People are like, well, the lady directors. I mean, there aren't really are there any lady directors? It's like, okay, go look at what Mimi Letter's doing and give her all the money she wants to make the movie she wants because she's amazing. Um, So, yeah, we'll we'll see what comes next for all these people. But I thought it was a very, a a terrific finale and one that I look forward to discussing with you if you ever watch The Leftovers, Noel.
1: Well, a couple things then is, one is what I saw most about this was this idea that, there was a redemption for, um, what call it, for Lindelof in this sh- in this show, but this finale in particular. And I was talking with a friend of the show, Corey Barker, and he was just like, "I was really glad that Lindelof got to take this victory lap," mm-hmm. is how he framed it, because he also agrees that Lindelof gets too much sl- gets too much uh, flack for the lost finale, and even I think he gets too much flack for the lost finale, which I think is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember being just vaguely ambivalent about the lost finale, mm-hmm. uh, when I watched it. And so I was, n- I was not one of those people who was just like, oh, the show, <laughs> but, um, I was mostly, I, I, I do make fun of everyone congregating in a non-denominational church. Cause I think that's amusing, but it, it's just one of those things where I, I always thought Lindelof had a really firm handle on everything that he wanted to do. And I never really doubted that for any way, shape, or form. So this idea that he kind of carried over some broad concepts over to The Leftovers, I think, makes sense. And I would be interested enough to, like, go and do that. And, like, I actually told Corey he should, come, she, he should come on and discuss The Leftovers as a DVD shelf with us because it's, like, his second favorite show of all time now. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, you can come on and talk about it. and It'll force me to watch it. And then you will shut up about making me watch it. And Kate will shut up about making me watch it. And I will be happy because neither of you are nagging me anymore.
0: <laughs> that sounds good to me. And I will also yeah. say that um, former co-host Simon Howell has also reached out and said, by the way, just like, if you want to do one, I want to come on because this show is amazing. So I would be all for just like, like Corey, Simon, and me, love fest and Noel, you can like let us know what you think as because right. we all love the show, and you're you would be you know new to it, so yeah, let us know, keep us posted because we all want to talk about this show because it's so good. Um, but that's okay, that's okay. Down the line, <laughs> at some point, at some point, um, uh, shall we move on to the Handmaid's Tale? We have our penultimate episode here, the bridge.
1: Right, so we've got the bridge, and hey, look at that, The Handmaid's Tale does an episode about women, and suddenly it's interesting again. What do you know? Shock and astonishment! I know, I couldn't believe that a show that was so much about men could do a story. Oh, wait, hang on. (laughs) (laughs) So, this week's episode um, deals with a little bit of, like, the fallout of Jezebel's, but uh june decides to start like working for mayday basically as much as she can and her alma gives her, her first task which is you need to get this package out of jezebel's for us and it's just like oh so i have to convince waterford to bring me back to jezebel's and then go to the bar to get a package without him seeing me without nick seeing me yeah that's gonna go great uh, <laughs> this is to say it does not go great mm-hmm. Uh and the end result is that she has a meeting, another meeting with Moira and Moira helps get the package by the end. But, uh, the crux of the episode is whether or not you can give up basically. Mm-hmm. And Moira, the state that uh, June finds Moira in is that Moira has basically just given up. Yeah. And, uh, actually upon having a conversation that isn't oh my god i'm so sorry i left you and oh my god i'm so happy you're alive is now like we need to talk about our realities and neither of them are particularly good and in fact mine is very bad and i'm sort of resigned to this life
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh as opposed to june's burgeoning degree of wanting to fight back and uh running parallel to all of this is that Janine is being moved to a new house because her daughter is being handed over to the Putnam's and is basically just like not happy about it. Because again, remember she thought that Putnam was going to run off with them and everything. And she ends up kidnapping Angela slash Charlotte and standing on a bridge threatening to jump with the child and herself. And, it's up to June Mm -hmm. to try and convince her to not jump and to save the kid and everything. And it's a matter again, of what do you, what can you do to survive? Who, how can you help someone survive? And where, where, where can you draw strength from? And so it's a really good episode in terms of the fact that we've had two really bad episodes. Well, not really, really bad in terms of Jezebel's, which I think is just kind of middle of the road. But we had the other side, which was just bad. Uh, but So The Breach feels like a little bit of a return to form, but in a 10-episode season, it also feels like, I didn't need that. I didn't need episode seven at all, guys. Didn't need it at all. You didn't tell me anything. And episode eight feels more like, just set up for this episode it ended up so it felt like a two-parter in a lot of ways so it's a good episode and i look forward to hearing what you think about it but it 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 was a very it ended up feeling kind of like a low-key way going into the season finale for me uh and i think a lot of that just has to do with all the momentum that we kind of lost over the course of seven and eight Mm
0: -hmm. now if you just skipped seven when you're watching do you think that would help
1: I don't see why it wouldn't help. In fact, I saw someone um, tweeting about The Handmaid's Tale on Wednesday. I didn't watch The Bridge until Thursday because uh, I just wasn't in like an emotional place to watch The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> I feel you. <ya. laughs> so I was just like, I- I'll save this until Thursday. And I saw him tweeting about it, and I just went, "Oh God, are they doing? Did they do a Waterford episode?" Say that they didn't. And he was just like, "Oh no, I'm watching episode seven. It's all about the husband." And I just went, "Oh, you can skip that." <laughs> and and I think you can. I think you can legitimately skip episode seven and lose nothing, in t- at least yeah. in terms of the arc of this season.
0: Well, and frankly, the just thinking of six and eight, I feel like the show would function better if you skipped seven, finish the season. I mean, we haven't. I haven't seen this week's, and of course, next week's is the finale, and then you can watch seven after. You know, like after the season is yeah. ended, kind of fill in a gap, and you won't yeah. have you will have helped the momentum of the show, which is such a weird thing to recommend to people. It feels kind of weird yeah. and wrong to recommend it, but I feel like it would actually help the viewing experience.
1: Yeah, I think so too. Episode seven, in fact, just should be like if I frame it in terms of like a novel, which is something I hate to do, but structurally it sort of works in that you turn episode seven into the monologue model into the epilogue mm-hmm. for this for this. Book, basically, yeah, and suddenly it's okay ish it's still a weird diversion from the main plot, and there are still major issues in so far as Luke is stole not a character even by the end of his own episode, but at least you didn't kill the momentum of the rest of the story to tell this totally inessential story
0: It's just it's an appendix, it's like a yeah. tolkien style of yes. you know. So you can you know, read after you finish the actual like main thrust narrative. So that's interesting. I'm well I'm very glad to hear that it's returned to form. I was getting pretty concerned, I think. I was too. I was getting antsy. Yeah. yeah. Um what about American gods? We had a murder of gods this week. We're two away from the finale. We've got two more episodes yeah. for, for this one. Um and I heard something about um new gods and gun control and immigration or something on this episode. Is this the the one Should I be excited for this one? She said, hoping, but not really expecting.
1: No, you shouldn't be excited about this. Um, this is a weird episode in which thematically, I think there is, it's like most thematically unified episode in some ways. Mm-hmm. But it also doesn't say anything. <laughs> which is really disappointing to see. So the Coming to America deals with uh, Mexican Jesus coming to the U.S., and through but it's a modern day version of that so sort of thing so it's border crossing and then getting shot up by a bunch of hicks Mm -hmm. um, militia types uh, as these folks cross over and after one of them is actually saved by Mexican Jesus Uh, but the episode makes very clear to fetishize the guns in the scenes but also like the presence of like a cross to play off like this isn't what jesus would want you dumb hicks Mm -hmm. (laughs) and but yet you have a cross like attached to your gun like a keychain keychain ring (laughs) and so that like kind of lays the groundwork for the fact that um wednesday has decided to enlist the aid of vulcan the god of volcanoes basically who is franchised himself as a bullet manufacturer in this town in virginia Okay. Played by um, Corbin Burtz in, in a very scraggly doomsday bunker built. Well, not scraggly, but solid doomsday bunker beard, basically. Uh, not 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 the Reverend Kimmy Schmidt size, but yeah. s- respectable. A respectable,
0: you know, okay.
1: Yeah. And so the episode deals with, the episode sort of deals with a little bit of uh, still shadows, like, WTF guys and also I'm not really comfortable being surrounded by a bunch of white folks with guns because I just got lynched like a couple days ago and also that tree looks a lot like it and I saw a noose and I feel like everyone's very aware of the fact that I was lynched here for some reason I don't know quite what's going on and no one will explain anything which is a conversation that keeps happening is that Shadow's still horrified by things that were happening because no one will explain anything to him Mm -hmm. So there's this weird talk about guns as sort of a belief system and ammunition as a belief system, but it doesn't really go anywhere. And it doesn't really say all that much apart from the fact that the town that they go to is entirely dominated by this ammunition factory and that everyone's like walks around with guns and they've got the armband of the company on it's, it's all vaguely fascist Mm -hmm. and But it never congeals into anything because we find out, like, that uh, Vulcan has been uh, co-opted by the new gods and that he was leading Wednesday into a trap. But, you know, he still gave Wednesday a badass sword so we can see Ian McShane going all Highlander and shit at at some point. And so, yeah, the main thrust of the episode was kind of meh. Mm -hmm. Um, But we got more of Laura and Matt Sweeney and now Samir. Um, They Mm -hmm. meet up with Samir um and now they're going on a road trip and there's more dead wife stuff and there's more talk about well i just really love shadow and there's more talk about i'm looking for a gin, and all this sort of stuff and so like seed planning more than anything it feels like okay. and yeah so that was this week's episode And it was fine um in terms of everything that's come before it i like the fact that there was kind of a thematic point Mm -hmm. and i will also acknowledge the fact that while last week i said that reitzel's scoring sounded very similar to hannibal especially in the first half this episode is distinctly jazzy in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. Uh, particularly the stuff with uh matt sweeney and laura and smear is all very jazz geared which is an interesting tone for him and i really enjoy it and appreciate it And we saw like we heard bits of it last week as well but it's like full fleshed out this week and it works really really nicely and helps differentiate it uh for me anyway and so i guess i just need things to be really really obvious because my untrained ear doesn't pick up on things like yours very good ear does
0: (laughs) not good, differently trained i would say right um (laughs) though okay just for a moment how like it sounds nothing like Hannibal to me. How does it sound like Hannibal to you, the score? Like, what about it feels like Han- Especially by the time you get to season two and three of Hannibal. It's so distinct in its, it's the orchestration and the approach. I mean, it's, for me, it's nothing like what we're getting with American Gods. So, um, I don't, like, I could. I'm not trying to say you're wrong, but no, no I, uh, what I, I I'm trying to wrong. say is, no, no, you're not wrong. This is what, this is the association that you're making. So obviously something is prompting that in what you're experiencing yeah. and hearing when you're hearing the, the the, the scoring. So like, what is it about the scoring that feels like
1: Hannibal to you? Uh, a lot of it is also just, like, the association that imagery sync up. So a lot of the cues that they use to cue in the music is also, like, distinctly Hannibal to me. So uh-huh. um, the the example I, I can, like, point to directly is, like, the blood pouring down um Sorenbarg's hammer. Mm. And that image, coupled with the scoring that kind of breaks into the silence... And has that kind of wind down sort of vibe to it is for me very reminiscent of a lot of what Hannibal, what Reitzel did in certain parts of Hannibal. And okay. I think that there are other elements as well that just kind of clicked into my head as sounding very Hannibal-esque to me, okay. but I don't have the language to explain it to you in a way that makes sense. It's much more visceral than it is intellectual.
0: Okay. If you can I'll, I will like when I have some time hopefully soon I will go back and I will watch that scene and cuz okay. I w- I want to understand what you're talking about cuz for me it's yeah. like when you it's like when you see a movie with um the same movies or TV show with somebody else and they're like well clearly it was exactly the same as fill in the blank and you're like well, it's, it was did we see the same movie was it like <laughs> yours was it it was in English, right? Like, let's start from there. Same language, right? We're starting from there, and then we'll move forward. Like, um, And so, because for me, it's just nothing like it. But I also am very aware that I I listen to and take in and appreciate and, like, uh, break oh, down. Oh, appreciate. No. Oh, I see. In yeah, a different way. No, no, in no. a different way. <laughs> Not in a better way, but in a different way. Like, I, like, like... Like like musical appreciation, like that that concept, you know, like yeah. make you take in college for you can take the musical the appreciation. Music I took theater
1: class. appreciation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like it's <laughs> like I'm not trying to use that actual term to describe. Yeah, I know. Yes, but which, of course, please continue, please continue. But 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 it's just yeah, it's just it's like when it's like. I don't hear it at all, and I and that is a lack in my ability to communicate and understand. So I need to work. I need to try to figure it out because it's, it's been driving me nuts all week. Um, but uh, anything else on a murder of gods? Now do, are there a bunch more of them? Hence the title, like murder of crows.
1: No, no, there's not a lot more gods. We huh. just meet Vulcan. And he's around. um... Okay. He he gets killed. I mean, but I mean, that's... Does does, does
0: Mexican Jesus get killed too?
1: He gets shot through his hands and then... Oh, God, of course he does. Of course he does. And uh, he also, like, falls down with, like, a wound on, like, his chest, but not, like, where he was pierced uh, by uh, Loginus' spear. Uh, But, yeah, you know, he falls down in a crucifixion-esque pose while his hands are bleeding. Uh, So, yeah. 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 It's a super subtle show.
0: Like... I I mean, I don't need subtlety, as we're both very aware, but... Right! No, neither do I. I expect better from this creative team. So, anyways, let's move on to iZombie. Return of the Dead Guy. I would like to say, for a cheerier conversation, except this one didn't really do that much for me. Why did we bring back ex-boyfriend ghost dude? Like, why is this happening?
1: So the reason why I think it's happening is that the show finally realized, whoops, we need to explain why Liv has been so gung-ho about these brains, and we, give an, we get an explanation in that I've just been throwing myself in letting the brains take over, because I don't want to deal with killing you. And we, I kind of went, well, that's that's great show, it's episode nine, and this is also, I feel like, our first episode that we've had a Liv voiceover in a while, and I feel like we should have had that a little bit sooner, and this whole conversation... A little bit sooner, but we were too busy pretending Blaine wasn't, you know. Yeah,
0: Blaine. <laughs> yeah. I do enjoy the running gag of him always getting shot. That yeah. has been delightful. They need yeah. to just, ne- they can keep that going as long as they want. And I will never get tired of David <laughs> Anders being shot. Um, I will say, though, that I actually really uh, appreciate and love the uh, stuff that we got with Ravi and, and Donnie. I think that, like, that part, that corner of the show, I think, has been, is terrific. And that's a really new and interesting way to take, you know, his storyline. Like you, Like we talked about a while ago, like, they're saying, you're not going to find out who took the stuff, but. At least Robbie gets stuff to do. And yeah. so far, I say thumbs up. Right. And I like that
1: Robbie's like out of the lab and doing stuff. I think that's a really good shift for the show to make for that character, especially like in its third season. If Robbie mm-hmm. just stayed in the Emmy's office for the entirety of the show, aside from being in like Major and his house, I would be like, dude, no, please go out do something else Mm -hmm. um even though like i feel a a lot of i feel like the zombie truthers are all really very broadly sketched yes to the point where it's just like this is really ridiculous guys i need you to just dial this back like two notches because you're at 12 right now with your hick truther presentation just bring it bring it to 10 or 9 and we'll be okay um because it's, it's very broad and when you have someone like say mr boss who comes back in full force this week who is really nicely and deftly played by an actor whose name i can't remember but we all know is the jewish guy from the oceans Elevens trilogy who's been in all of the things <laughs> right and he's yeah. been in all of the things and he he manages to do a lot very quietly i think and it's just in such stark contrast to the very broadness of the zombie truthers that i'm just like just dial it back just a little bit and then i'll be happy and i'll be good and i'll really really enjoy this but the ravi and Donny stuff i thought worked really well that's a really weird pairing Mm -hmm. but it's paying off really nicely i think
0: yeah and uh what do you how do you feel about the how do you feel about the cliffhanger of, of, of Liv and Blaine, you know, zombying out, Romeroing out to, to go take on, you know?
1: When that happened, I immediately booed the television screen. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, you sons of bitches, I wanted that this week. I yeah. needed that in my eyeballs already. But no, I'm very excited about it because we haven't had a lot of like full zombie Romero zombies since really like the season two finale. And, which makes sense. But, I'm, I, so I'm really excited about that. And I always like the energy that uh, Anders and MacGyver, uh bring to scenes between Blaine and Liv. It's just, they really sizzle with one another. So I'm really excited that they're teaming up to go rescue their respective well, friends, I don't know if Blaine would consider Donnie a friend, considering <laughs> how long he took to go and rescue him yeah, after receiving that phone call. which was pretty fun. So, which, I mean, I need to get everything in order, Donnie. I have to go threaten Mr. Boss right now mm-hmm. and blackmail him. And, you know, I have to do a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but then I will come rescue you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but I, 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 was, I was generally overall... I I liked the episode, and I'm eager to see what Veronica Mars-esque tie-in this ongoing case will suddenly bring us to with everything that's happening, since this is a very Veronica Mars slow play thing that they're doing right now. Which I think
0: is working well.
1: Yeah, I think so too. It's just like, we're getting little bits of like, those little girls are eating brain tubes. WTF! WTF! (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's, like, little things cropping up that I'm really excited to see how they're going to pay off over the next, like, month. Yeah, the, over the next month, basically.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Okay, well, uh, yeah. what about the Carmichael show? We got uh, Grandma Frances this week.
1: Yeah. So this was... Uh, the Carmichael show decides to be euthanasia, yeah. uh, which I f- wish they had done last week so we could have discussed it in relation to Mary Kills people. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, no, this is another really funny but also really sharp episode for them that deals with uh the personal and emotional logistics of someone wants to kill them and they'd like you to help mm-hmm. and in this case it's um david allen Grew's character's mother and uh, yeah yeah
0: yeah That 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 packs a punch
1: Right. It is like, there's not like a disconnect here in terms of like character or anything. It's just like, this is a big deal. And, but they managed to work in like a number of really solid jokes about the degree to which what they can do, how they're going to do it. Um, but also jokes about like her Alzheimer's, which is the reason why she's wanting to do this before it gets much worse. Mm-hmm. But the joke being the fact that she thought she told them six weeks ago. No. <laughs> um yeah no so like it's it's a very it's a well-delivered joke on behalf of the actress who plays francis like it's solid it lands really really nicely and you need a joke like that to land really nicely but then there's other stuff because she's just like well if the pills don't work i need someone to be my pillow man oh my god and so there's a discussion about which pillow to use home sweet home or love faith and home Uh and it's just it's really funny because he he picks the love faith and home one because obviously because that's the best one so there's plenty of really good stuff it's a really good conversation about wanting to protect someone wanting to make sure that they're in the right frame of mind to make this sort of decision and the episode makes it very clear that she is in the right frame of mind and this is a choice that she's no understanding to make like Mm -hmm. and that's a big deal for like representation standpoint of like this isn't someone who's like on death's door or Mm -hmm. seems like like is about to die and just kind of wants to speed the process along like this is a woman who feasibly could have done lived for like another five six years Mm -hmm. but didn't want to because of the Alzheimer's. Yeah. and so it was just a it was a really thoughtful and funny episode in the vein of there were other thoughtful and funny episodes so i was really happy with this episode i thought it was really good and it's just four people the for the most of the episode and then there's some jokes about wendy's and i could have done without those because wendy's is delicious
0: <laughs> fair enough well i'm i look forward to watching that then it just reminds me of how grateful i am that a show like the carmichael show exists to prompt mm-hmm. these kinds of conversations which are really tough and there's no reason to have until there's a reason to have and yeah. it's these are the kind of kind of conversations that i think it's good for families t- to have so you have a sense of where somebody's at on these issues like yeah you don't want to be finding out for the first time that somebody is in, like thinks that euthanasia should be a, a right when they're asking you to euthanize them, you want to know that right out ahead of, of time, time. <laughs> you know, um, so that you have a better sense of where they're, you know, what where they're at with it emotionally and mentally and and how serious they are. So, yeah, that's that's sounds intense, but I try like you said, like you're saying, this is the kind of thing that the Carmichael show excels at that. So few other shows, I think, have that I can at least can think of have tried to tackle and done yeah. well
1: yeah yeah and most of the time it's done like in a hospital drama and it it has that heightened sense of urgency to it Mm -hmm. and or you have house being really dismissive of wilson and (laughs) this is kind of a different vein for that and i really respected that they found as they often do comedy within this very serious topic
0: yeah yeah Okay, well, I will let you guys know any thoughts that I have uh, once I get a chance to watch it. But let's move on to Angie Tribeca, Germs of Endearment, which was their like epidemic episode. I don't really have much to say about this other than the show continues to be very fun. And this is yeah. the what is it ten or thirteen this season?
1: I, it's it's ten. Next week's the finale. Next week's, Next the, week's finale. the finale. Okay, so yeah. it's a
0: little surprising to me that there's less build up, I guess. But you know, we do have them meeting.
1: Right. You know. Yeah. And it's so, Ernie Hudson.
0: Yeah. Oh no no no. The, I meant the the killer. Oh. But yes yes. Yeah. Ernie Hudson oh. as as Rashida Jones' dad. I thought was terrific yes. and super fun. The the just like the cuts back and forth between Angie and the hamster wheel and the setup. Like just
1: back that and forth. It's like Goldberg machine.
0: <laughs> so ridiculous and just held way too long. It's Like yeah, we get it. He jumped. He left out the window. Like okay, we're gonna stay here for another ten seconds. Fair enough. Like I thought it was, it was so funny. Um, what did you think of this one?
1: Yeah, I liked it too. Um, I was a little disappointed that it was Rob Riggle just from like a casting perspective. I was hoping for someone else. Just um, and well,
0: we, we already knew Rob Riggle. He, he's wasn't been, he, he's yeah he's been the killer since they went to New Orleans.
1: Oh oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Oh, see, I hadn't made the connection. I hadn't made yeah. that like connection. Thank yeah. you for reminding me. I appreciate that. <laughs> So yeah, but like a new, I was just like, uh, type of thing. Uh and it's nothing against Rob Regal, it's just I I don't get a serial killer vibe off of him.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. He
1: I he, get a serial killer vibe off of bearded Chris Chris Pine, the absolutely. second best Chris. Yeah. And
0: <laughs> those those like those rankings, it would it takes a lot. It's gonna take a lot for one and two to change. Like they're like it's one and two, like we've talked about before, and then big gap three and then we right. can talk about how if there's a gap to four. But like right. yeah. Second best Chris, killing it on Angie Tribeca
1: the season. Very true. Right. Hopefully
0: think he's gonna come back in the finale or do you think we're done with him?
1: We're probably done with him, but I'd I'd, yeah. I'd be very pleased if he came back. Um yeah. but I don't expect him to, so yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Anyways, um yeah, it was a fun way to like I would not have thought of them doing a pandemic to tie in with their serial killer who kills people and dresses animals in their clothes like, yeah. has nothing to do with that at all. And so, you know, that was a bit of a, like a left, left turn, I guess. But, um, but it, but it was, uh, it was, it was still a really fun episode and I'm certainly looking forward to the finale. I'm going to miss having like a little dose of ridiculousness every week.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, Rick comes back, so we'll get a different kind of ridiculousness. That's very
0: true. Yeah. Well, and we got a lot of finales headed our way because, of course, I talked about the Leftovers finale this week. Next week, we have Handma- Handmaid's Tale. The week after that, we have American Gods. We have RuPaul's Drag Race finale is, and Andrew Beck. Both of them are next week. So we had our yeah. I think is isn't next week the Drag Race finale, or is it two weeks from now? I think it's
1: two weeks, but I'm not
0: sure. It's coming up very soon. Um, right? Are they
1: going to do like the newscast recap episode? Because
0: yeah, they those do. are Sometimes the worst. They're doing the. <laughs> they're doing a reunion episode that's the season finale right crowned the winner the week before okay so we'll see yeah but this week we had gayest ball ever and we bid adieu in the least uh uh, like stressful elimination ever to alexis um how did you feel about their the the ball you know showing how did they do with their multiple looks
1: well, I, I kind of went, why did they pick the village people? Um, oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I kind of went, well, I get why they picked the village people, but I also go, I, I don't really respond to this as a, like, a concept. Um, huh. Even if I also kind of went, Alexis, that, that look doesn't say Native American to me at all. At I all. Mean, you, you just... Put, put a bunch of turquoise on a corset and then went, hey, I'm going to put a bow on my head, and it just went, oh, no, you might as well have just done the arrow through the head gag instead. It's, like you and... get, it's a pun, but yeah. come on. Yeah, and it's also really hard to do cerebral comedy when you have Sasha doing <laughs> yeah. ran- doing like her rainbow uh, deconstruction look, which I really liked, and I liked the reveal of the house on her head. Yeah, but it was also just like I I don't understand. I I, I guess my ultimate thing with the village people was is I didn't really like a lot of those looks. Okay, and and I didn't even really like um, Trinity's like glam cop even really like I understand why a lot of people really liked it I, I think it was
0: it. awesome
1: but I also I kind of went
0: I, I just I, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was
1: basically just underwhelmed by a lot of this episode I think okay. is what it boiled down to
0: so I like this way more than you did
1: clearly okay. Um,
0: but did you at least enjoy the the construction worker look that got so much praise I thought that was awesome
1: I no I really like the construction worker look the cape slash skirt train uh-huh. thing i thought was really really good and i thought everyone's like in the workroom's response to the idea was very off because it was just like that's going to look really good guys you don't understand
0: it was really t- like when they had the the talk um interview the talking head with Alexis michelle talking about how it did she didn't get in and that didn't make any sense i was like oh that's because you don't have vision Sweet yeah. at least <laughs> as you are presented on this show the way the edited version of you of course, the edited version of you doesn't get it, doesn't get this, but this is going to look awesome.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, the unicorn thing that did not, no, that no. was a really, I thought weird sauce sort yeah. of oh, I, overall, I thought everybody was not particularly great. Um, huh. I liked Sasha's take, but I do think it yeah. was a little, uh, she was a little too proud of herself for being creative with it. It was like a little, there's a little too much praise for that. It's like, okay, yeah, something different. Cool. That's neat. Yeah, I mean it didn't blow my mind. Her yeah. rainbow one was way better, but yeah. you know at least there was blood on the 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 <laughs> unicorn horn, which was neat. I don't know. Yeah. um, I did think though that the I think the obviously Alexis going home was the right move. Um, I expect we have meant to go back to go home next week is what yeah. I'm anticipating. I um, think it's right. What did you think about the puppets? Everybody loves puppets, right?
1: I felt so bad for Alexis. I felt yeah, so bad. I think- because that was that was not a good puppet. I mean, she did
0: not do a good job. I don't think anyone
1: really could have done of that group could have ha- done a really solid parody of Sasha.
0: I don't know. I think they could. I think Sasha could have.
1: Well, herself. Sasha, Sasha doing herself, I think would have been fine. I'd, Peppermint maybe, uh-huh. but I, I, I don't think that Trinity could have, um, and I don't think Shay would have wanted to. Well, yeah, there's that. That speaks
0: more to the queens than I think. Yeah. Like, I think if you, like, of course, the easy default to go to is, um, oh my goodness, season six, Bianca Del Rio. Right. Uh, Bianca would have had a half an hour of material on Sasha. So it says more to me about the queens than about, like, Sasha. The fact that Sasha's hard to do. I don't think Sasha. I think, just think, this is not a group
1: of comedy queens. There is also that is, especially like this remainder group is not comedy. <laughs> yeah,
0: when, when Sasha's the funny one,
1: right? You know, <laughs> and she is funny once she gets out of her way. She's actually kind of funny.
0: She does a but, good job,
1: but yeah. yeah, she she shouldn't be the shining star of comedy in a group yeah. of queens. Like yeah. she should be
0: like she can you know she can get through. She can hold her own. Like right. that's what it should be. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, this is also a woman whose first instinct was i just going to do Juju's butler for matches for the snatch game. And it's just like, no
0: like way <laughs> from the crafting table. You need to rethink. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, any, any other predictions or any final thoughts on draggers? Do you have do you, your pick for who you think's going to win or are you still like, think it could go any different way?
1: I, I think that it's between Trinity and Sasha at this point. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think Shay has enough range for the judges to like, push them anyway. But Mm -hmm. I think from like a presentational and also like technical standpoint, what Sasha and Trinity do really appeal to the judges. So I think that is going to make like the big difference in terms of going forward. But I do agree with you in that Peppermint's probably going home next week. Um, And that'll be that. Uh, What about you? Who do you think like is like, do you have like a person that you're putting money down on?
0: Well, normally I would not expect Sasha because yeah. of the history of who tends to win.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but I feel like she's been getting a very kind edit. Yeah. Not like she's not deserving of that, but I feel like they're leading towards either her winning or it being a, a really close fight. Close. Yeah. And I, I actually think that they're, they're trying to set it up for a really close three-way battle between different yeah. approaches to drag, um, sure. for the three. And they're, they're trying to make Shay the creative one and Sasha, the intellectual one. And, and Trinity, again, the, the pageant queen, body, yada yadi right. They, they, yeah. they keep going to with her. Um, and, and also the fun bitchy one, you know? Like, yeah So they're, they're definitely setting up the other two for all stars the next time they do an all stars.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: So, so we'll, we'll see. I think it, you know, it has, to, For me it has less to do with the actual queens Than it does like my thoughts on it Than the way that they are being presented by the show
1: No that makes sense And I, I don't think that you're wrong either I, I just I think my thing with it is basically In part because of like the edit that Sasha's gotten But also the fact that Sasha is here At this stage in the show Yeah I think is also like a big thing And she also hasn't had lip sync Yeah Which is pretty significant I think Yeah for, the sh- for her chances. It's just like, she's been really consistent. Mm-hmm. And she really shouldn't have been. Like, I even like when we started, I was just like, oh, I thought she was going to go home really quickly because mm-hmm. her what she does doesn't match the show. Mm-hmm. And then it was just like, oh, no, she's found a way to make all of this work and they liked it. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, we'll see. It's certainly going to be fun for me. I, I always enjoy um, the, the last stretch of episodes we've talked about this before but i think that their last stretch of challenges that they tend to do tend to um really build anticipation for the finale and, and structure the the end of the season at least very well so yeah we'll see what comes next I'm, I'm sure it'll be a fun finale but um what wins noel your week in tv
1: uh i'm gonna give it to the carmichael show uh grandma mm-hmm. francis it was just a really solid half hour for me uh this week and i'm guessing that you're gonna give it to well, you only watched like four shows this week, so I don't. <laughs> the and, leftovers, uh, obviously leftovers. The leftovers. The leftovers. I love <laughs> the
0: leftovers. <laughs> yes, definitely. Definitely the leftovers. Um, yeah, no more. I don't even do anything else yet. It's such a great show. Um, now we'll take a break and we'll come back and talk a little Anne with an E.
1: to bring us a boy. You don't want me. There's no point in crying. There's been a mistake is all. Girls can do anything a boy can do, and more. Who are you? My name is Anne Shirley Cuthbert, and please be sure to spell Anne with an E. Gilbert! Why were you walking with that orphan girl? I won't eat next to dirty trash. What good a cheap eater was.
0: We might be some good to her.
1: I make up stories all the time. I could never do that. I don't think imagination is my strong suit. Really? I don't know what I'd do without my...
0: We're back with the Televerse, and as you could hear from that trailer, we're talking Anne with an E, the new Anne of Green Gables adaptation uh, from Canada, yes? but uh, Yeah, this is a
1: CBC production.
0: Yeah, here, you know, available to us via Netflix. Now, um, Noel, I, of course, read Anne of Green Gables by Ellen Montgomery, Lucy Maud Montgomery, as I had to memorize, as for Battle of the Books when I was in middle school Um, and the rest of, I think I read most of the rest of the series. My sister definitely read all of them. Anne of Heavenly, all, like, the whole, like, down to, like, Gilbert goes off to war and, like, and we watched, of course, the Megan Follows miniseries or tv movies and and like that whole series of them i think my sister even read the ones that are like the, the kids like the next generation in avonlea like
1: so, avonlea the next generation
0: basically we what i'm saying is I, when i heard that there was a new and green gables adaptation, i was like uh why that is sacrilege everyone should watch and love the megan follows version because it's amazing Um, so I, I, as we talked about this only very briefly, but I believe you do not have any connection to Anne of Green Gables. Um, one, how, and two, how did that affect your viewing of Anne with an E? I'm very curious to know what you thought of this. Like if you indeed went in completely blind.
1: I went in completely blind. Like I have never read a single Anne novel. Mm -hmm. I have not seen any of the adaptations, At all, any of the film or TV adaptations. I haven't seen a single one. And in fact, like when I was about to start Anne with an E, um, I booted up my television and the 1938 Anne of Green Gables was on Turner Classics. And I watched like five minutes and then realized I had seven episodes of a TV show I needed to watch. (laughs) Um, So that, that was the extent of what I had going into this. And basically all I knew about this was it was frontier narrative and young Noel doesn't do frontier narratives. Um, I've never even seen like a complete episode of, like Little House. Is how resistant I was to frontier-based narratives. So I never sought out the books, and I never had any interest in watching any of the shows or any of the adaptations. So I went into this completely blind.
0: Okay, that is yeah. You said okay it's just very strange to me i thought i just assumed everybody like at least was aware of Anne of green gables so well no i knew
1: it existed
0: it's not like like i yeah that's very it's very it's just okay people are different than me that's all right um but it's just like any of
1: those any of those things that people like touch on like that i've read in like other reviews so like gilbert getting smashed in the face with a slate uh-huh or the uh the liquor the the drunken tea party yeah these are things i have no context for or understanding that these are seminal moments Mm -hmm. and i felt vaguely reassured like i talked to like eight or nine people while in the process of watching this to ask them about it Mm -hmm. and they're just like oh i haven't read this or i haven't seen this (laughs) and i was just like oh thank god and this includes like a woman who's in her late 40s early 50s for whom this should have been like Part of her yeah. wheelhouse type of thing. she's like no, I didn't I never got into any of it. okay well, what did you think then? I really liked this. I thought this was very very good um, in no small part because I think Amy Amy Beth McNulty is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like a, she's just dynamo. Um, she's just a dynamo in this show it's kind of intense. And I don't know how many times she can fall to her knees. I just assumed that she had knee pads on the entire time <laughs> that she was filming this. We but should, no, well, for those who haven't seen it, she plays Anne. <laughs> right. Yeah. She, she plays Anne. Uh, but no, so this not having any context or anything, it, it allowed like some of the critiques that I read, like after the, I watched a couple of episodes and then went back and to read some of the reviews uh, from, especially those written by people who were really into the books and were just like, Why is this so dark and grim? And I just went, well, because it's 1908 and she was an orphan. Mm -hmm. That's why it's grim, everyone. The whole, but what it ended up coming down to is I felt like a lot of those negative reviews overplayed and overstated the grimness of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because so much of it is balanced by her desire for every, Anne's desire for everything to be imaginative and good and romantic and Big, basically. And uh, McNulty's performance really keys into that. It's very theatrical, but it's in a way that makes sense for that character. And that's why I really ended up responding to it. But no, I really liked this. I liked this idea of her imagination as an escape, but also that we got to see other characters respond to her kind of going into a flashback state and wondering what the hell is up with this little girl that she's just kind of phasing out. It's because she's been abused. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone. As an orphan in 1908 probably would have been if they had been raised in an asylum. Yeah. Um, So it's one of those things where I read those reviews and kind of went, no, I'm okay with them finding this undercurrent of maudlinness in the show, uh, in the books a little bit, and then just kind of not leaning into it a little bit but not going whole hog overboard with it in a lot of ways and until the end a little bit and we can talk about that even though you haven't watched that we will talk about it because it's it's out it doesn't work for even this show but as someone who is like eyeballs deep into the montgomery and gable verse mm-hmm. how did you feel about this then
0: Well, I, I, okay, so I've seen up through the first part, first half of episode six, and then life intervened, and also the internet cut out as well, and I was not able to watch the last half of six and seven, which is apparently when everything takes a turn, and if I had seen it, I probably would be very upset but yeah. i really liked what i saw and i thought it made a lot of sense i thought it was well written and performed i thought the pacing was a bit of an issue i thought that the, they should have i think they should have handled the the flashbacks differently um instead of like showing her i'm going to remember things now and then we cut back to it and it's so obvious that she's actively in this moment stopping everything she's doing and thinking about it, I think it was... she's have, having a zombie
1: vision she's ha
0: is i was very strongly remember like it's like this is not just a zombie vision this is a blue goo zombie vision I was very strongly reminded of of live on on almost uh, on i zombie um but um i you know I would have rather had it just cut back to that and trusted the audience to know that. We're filling in, you know, information for you. We're giving you context so that you can understand why she's having this, you know, such a strong response. But I thought it was very, I thought it was very well done. Like this is a such a seminal character in children's literature, right? Um, and it's one like it's a the the 1985 adaptation is, you know, close to my heart. I loved it growing up. I'm sure I would still really enjoy it now. There, you know, who knows how it's aged, uh, you know, over time. But I'm sure that there's still a lot in there that I would respond to very strongly. But it is not, um, it, it takes, you know, it's adapting the, the novel, which is, you know, the way I described it, I was talking to my sister about it, who, like I said, you know, is very, you know, was very enamored of Anne and that world growing up, you um, and And I think you know she was saying, you know she had the same response, and that was that the book and the eighty five adaptation of it, which is trying to be very true to that, is it's sort of like the version of this story that Anne would write for
1: mm-hmm. herself,
0: like a more mature, less yeah. fanciful Anne, but still, like this is how you would choose to remember it, and rather than choosing to include all of the horrible trauma that likely led, like the, like you said, the performance uh, of the lead here is terrific. And it may like, I had never thought about the realities of what she would be coming from and what that would mean. And like, and that explaining so much of how nervous and neurotic she is and how high strung and the performance really layers all of that together. Like she makes complete sense. Um, but Adding the context of like as a personality type, like yes, I know students that are very Anne-like. I have students that are very much like uh, like Anne. Um, but it makes so much more sense when you include, oh, and definitely physically abused, definitely mentally and emotionally abused. Uh, hopefully not sexually abused, but certainly witnessed it. Uh yeah. you know, like and and like and that just of course. Of course that makes sense. Of course that explains like such, so much of why she has the immediate, especially the immediate responses that she does have to Avonlea, to Matthew and Marilla, to this whole world, why she has so much trouble fitting in initially in this town. Like it just makes everything so much more visceral. And, um, and I don't think like you, like I'm surprised to hear people thought this was overly grim, at least in the first five and a half episodes, because I think it really captures the whimsy and wonder of Anne.
1: Yeah, I think so too.
0: It just lets it, it adds some, again, some context so that it doesn't feel like an isolated bubble, like overly saccharine bubble either. It's, it's, it's very much this character. You get to watch her choose how she wants to interact with the world and see the world. And it's a beautiful thing, the way she chooses to see the world. Um, Yeah, I thought it was lovely. I know,
1: I I completely agree with you. And it was just, it's such... I, I think there's, it, it's, it's, it, the flashbacks provide texture. And I think that's what's really important. And part of the reason why, like, I mean, it was, you had mentioned this as like a potential thing for us to talk about, but I was just like, yes, we should do this. Because like, we talk about like Steven Universe and um, Adventure Times, like kids targeted cartoon shows. But we really don't talk about like, quote, quote, family television. Mm-hmm. And like, even again, without, having read any of this, I know that like Anne and the Green Gable saga is very family oriented type of stuff, Mm -hmm. which is why I was eager to talk about it because we, we don't cover that a lot, but then you were just like, well, you know, it's like the grim version, right? (laughs) And I just went, no, but let's, let's do it anyway. And I, the, one of the things as I thought as I was watching it was the fact that this, I think is still something that you could show to kids. Mm Mm-hmm maybe not quite as young as you would show the 1985 version and you can speak to that more than i can Much obviously more than i can but that this is a show that will respect your family's viewing in terms of like yes you may need to have a couple of tough conversations Mm -hmm. but you can also frame those conversations in ways that your kids can understand and then you can also talk about like the silliness around everything and the delightfulness of her perspective, and how her her just general annness manages to wear down even Marilla, mm-hmm. and how really wonderful that is. And I, I think and I think that's really good. It sometimes comes at the expense of like the town people coming off as complete idiots regarding how to manage a fire, mm-hmm. <laughs> but. It, it all is in service to like developing this character that is incredibly relatable, and also, while while we were talking about with like, um, just Wonder Woman at to the top is like a very feminist sort of character, and a and the the show is very explicit in making it clear um, that this a is a very feminist a bit type too, of text. too a much, bit too clear a, a bit, bit too much. much yeah yeah Marilla's book club is a just a bad scene. Yeah. Um, it, there's some but, shoehorning
0: that like, yeah. that you can leave this as like a conver- like a virgin conversation, certainly. And something that they'd be talking about. Yeah. But like you're, that's a little, little heavy handed there.
1: Yeah. And th- I think that's kind of one, like kind of critique that I can love about the show is that there's not a, and we were talking about this a little bit with gods is that there's not a lot of subtlety to this show. Mhm. Uh, But I also kind of don't care because the aesthetics really balance out that because there's some really solid sort of uh, stylized documentary feel to a lot of the stuff, and it feels more like a BBC production. like Especially the first episode, I was just like, I thought I was watching Polar Dark in sections Mm -hmm. because of the cinematography that was in place. Uh, So this was a really high production for me anyway, CBC show. But I mean, all of it just like... It feels, it ended up feeling really balanced to me in terms of just what it was trying to do, what it was saying, how Anne was depicted, and then just making sure that everything kind of stayed in a pretty level keel, which I think is important, because otherwise I think Anne, at least for me, would have gotten really grating at some point.
0: <laughs> oh, no, she's super annoying in the first episode, which is, I love how strongly they steer into that. yeah. But then uh, uh, while they're giving you the context of why so that you can yeah. understand. So you fully appreciate the, oh my God, just stop, just stop, just stop talking. Stop talking. <laughs> this was cute for like 30 minutes. We've been driving back into town for two hours. Like, like, I think they really captured that and it's, it's appropriate. If it like, I don't, we all know, we all know kids like that, right? Or you yeah. were the kid like that, you know? Like, yeah. It's, it really, I thought it was a terrific job. Um, we should mention, of course, this is all written by Morgan Wally Beckett, uh, of Breaking Bad fame, um, less, you know, auspiciously of Flesh and Bone fame, but Breaking Bad, let's focus on, she wrote the best (laughs) Uh episodes, some of the best episodes of one of the best shows ever made. Um, so Lady Knows How to Write. Um, now I haven't gotten to the last, like, episode and a half, and that's where things take a turn, so spoiler alert, Yes. and this is a spoiler because it's not in the books, and it's not the other adaptations. Uh noel, so what goes down at the end towards the end in right, so, WTF mate.
1: Right. So what ends up happening is that a boat uh sinks, basically, and it's carrying a number of people's crops, including the Cuthbert's. Mm-hmm. And the boat is not insured. So there's no way of getting any payment back. Mm-hmm. So um uh so matthew goes takes out a massive loan uh not a loan but mortgages the entire farm basically
0: mm-hmm.
1: and marilla is needless to say very very upset mm-hmm. and in the course of their conversation matthew ends up having a heart attack something that's pre yeah. in like the second episode of him fixing a fence and clutching his chest a little bit yeah. so it's not out of nowhere anyway so matthew kind of makes a little bit of a recovery while uh, Marilla and Anne do what they can to basically get the firm out of hock because the, the bank is just like, oh, well, we actually invested in Matthew, but now that you've told us he's had a heart attack, we're going to need that money back. Mm-hmm. And so Matthew kind of comes out of his like medical state that he was in and goes, well, if I had just died, then none of this would have been a problem. My life insurance would have like been able to set you guys up and so then Matthew gets it in his head and is just like, well, maybe I'll just shoot myself. And he attempts to like load a revolver with bullets and almost shoots himself but his long lost love that runs the dress shop in town is that in the book? Does he have a girlfriend in the books?
0: I I don't remember that, but that's the kind of thing that I wouldn't have understood or given enough significance to when I first sure. watched this. So Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I th- I want to say yes, but yeah. I don't I'm not sure.
1: Well, she shows up and just in time to like see him like loading the gun and everything, and like they talk him out of it. But yeah, Matthew attempts uh, is ready to commit suicide. To which I went, no, that doesn't make any sense for this character, even within the context of this. That makes no sense for how you defined Matthew Cuthbert and how Ari Thompson has played him really well. Mm-hmm. None of this makes any sense. And, and you and- told
0: me initially, and I was <laughs> like, but that's that's horrible writing for matthew that is not that's not well, who that guy be is be matthew yeah. like yeah
1: that's not who he is in this show
0: no <laughs> yeah okay so so it doesn't make any more sense in
1: context why do you think they they did that i don't i think that they needed like end of season drama and i think that's one of the things is like They just went, well, we need something, like, big to happen apart from the criminal borders coming to stay with us. Is that in the books, too?
0: I I need to
1: double check. Okay. I don't want to... It's
0: been a while, listeners.
1: I don't want to, you know... I feel like it's probably not in the books because these border, these criminal borders are introduced in lieu in part because they beat up Jerry, the farmhand to steal mm-hmm. his money that he's been gathering to yeah. like help pay off the mortgage. And they beat him up and take his money. And then they find a listening for the house. So I feel mm-hmm. like this is all very new. So now they have two criminal borders living with them mm-hmm. in the start of season two, whenever that may be. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, we needed more than that. So we needed something big. And it's just like, I, I think having your farm mortgaged yeah. and needing to get it back is big enough that you don't need Matthew killing him, attempting to kill himself. Well,
0: and also Matthew having a heart attack and being weakened, there's enough, right. there's enough drama there already. That's a right. lot of
1: drama. Right. And they managed to, like, keep Jerry because the Barry's grandmother befriends Anne and she's mm-hmm. the wealthy... Yeah. Uh, yeah. The wealthy, the wealthy woman in town with the mansion that is just going to help dole out a little bit, but she's also quite lovely, despite everyone else thinking she's surly. <laughs> and um, it's all that. It's it's it feels very manufactured in a show that, by and large, avoids feeling manufactured.
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So now, has this it prompted any curiosity in you to seek out? Other versions, or or certainly, I think it sounds like you're interested in reading different reviews from people with different perspectives on it who have read or have not read that kind of a thing. Um, will you at some point seek out more Anne of Green
1: Gables? Uh, probably not. Okay. Fair <laughs> um, enough. I, I, I don't. I don't know that my interest is like super high in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I never say never. But most likely not. I I, I think that this is. One of these instances where an adaptation has a very distinct perspective. Uh-huh. And I really like that perspective. So mm-hmm. I'm just kind of going to stick here. Okay. And just kind of go, eh, I don't really need to, I don't really need to know about how Gilbert's dad dies in the book and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, I'm fine with it. And But I, the reason I sought out those other reviews was I was just really curious about how book readers had felt about this. Mm-hmm. Because my perception of what Gables sort of was beyond like the exterior of the whole Frontier narrative was kind of a not Pippi Longstocking, but mm-hmm. not not Pippi Longstocking.
0: Well, it's so so interesting for me to hear you describe it as Frontier narrative because I would have yeah. never thought of that. And yeah. like, if you if I you give me a, like a thousand adjectives to mm-hmm. describe the character and the series. I would never have thought Frontier Narrative. Okay. Because um, I just i am so caught up in in the characters and the, that world, but I don't, like, yes, they go to schoolhouse and this one-room schoolhouse and everything, but I just think of that as being old-timey, not right. as being Little House on the Prairie. Like, Frontier Narrative <laughs> for me is Little, Little House, House on the Prairie. Yeah, okay. which I've never read. And, uh, and I thought
1: yeah. Gables was, like, basically Little
0: House. Yeah. So... Well, and, and as someone who is not familiar with that, maybe it is. But yeah. that's so funny to me. Um, okay. Well, I certainly look forward to finishing the season and and seeing what I think of the the turns at the end of, of the season. I will say that the, there is some melodrama in some some in the books, like some okay. ridiculous stuff happens. Like in one of the the TV movies which I don't remember if this is a direct adaptation of the books or a, it might be just like a complete invention for the TV series, like the t- series of TV movies, like Gilbert goes off to World War Two, uh, World War One. I, I guess it would. be. I was about to say World War One. World War, War One, <laughs> and, and then Anne ends up like following him to the front and becomes a nurse. To and ends up like, like it gets super dramatic, is what I'm saying. So like, yeah. evil borders coming to say it's like that might not immediately ping a bell, but that is not the kind of thing that they would <laughs> do. <laughs> so, yeah. So like, I, I'm I, I'm certainly curious. Do you think there'll be a second season?
1: Um, I don't. I, 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 uh, yeah, they haven't said whether or not there is going to be one. Um, I certainly would like one. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how, like, successful this was over in, uh, Canada. I think, like, the success, I think it was, like, kind of critically well received over there yeah but ratings wise i also don't know what the standards for ratings are yeah, yeah. And for the cbc so i really can't speak to like any of that but i certainly would like a second season to see mm-hmm. how to get more of this and just to get more of these actors who it's a really strong ensemble
0: yeah it is so. uh, though i will say hashtag not my matthew hashtag not my <laughs> uh and, 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 and i feel like that this some elements of this depiction of Anne are very different. Some of them are exactly that that's who she, Anne Shirley, that's who she is. Um, mm-hmm. but, so there's some elements that are direct, like they both versions nail. But for me, it, it doesn't feel like a not my Anne. It feels like, or like, oh, this is the real Anne. Like, Megan Follows yeah. is Anne of Green Gables in my head. And it will take a lot for that to change. But I do sure. really appreciate this this take on the character from the performance, but also the writing. So, um, those, like, but for me, it's, it's like, it's funny because I'm like, oh, look, somebody's trying to be Matthew and Marilla and they're doing a really good job, but just, I saw it (laughs) as a kid growing up. So that's not what they look like in my head. So it's just funny the way that you imprint on some of these, you know, foundational
1: viewings. That makes sense. Like, I mean, like you go to sort of like foundational type stuff, like, I mean, for you, it's just like, who's your doctor? And in a lot of cases, it's like the first one you watched or the first one you watched and understood the series in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so I think think for this kind of a childhood adaptation, it's very much like, this is who this is. It's, like, for me, I don't really necessarily have those because, like, the Bucks called Children never really got adapted. yeah. And the Hardy Boys never really got adapted in any mm-hmm. real way, shape, or form. And then also they did that string of, where they were, like, their dad was a secret agent and they were kind of secret <laughs> agents in the 80s. And yeah. those all kind of sucked.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but, so there really weren't, like, adaptations for, like, a lot of, like, My Childhood Touchstone nerd books things for me to like latch on to yeah. so it's basically just like kevin conroy is my batman is basically how i respond <laughs> yeah. to these kind of questions it's just, <laughs> no no it's kevin conroy i don't care that it's just a voice it's kevin yeah. conroy
0: yep yep no i feel you i feel you well i'm glad that we had this conversation i'm glad that uh, we got a chance to talk about it because yeah and, and again just even you telling me that you know that many people who haven't who are just completely unfamiliar is like hurting my brain a little bit so i'm glad that we had a chance to get your perspective as a non-reader and me as a reader um of this series at least and um and talk about it so thank you Noel, as ever thank you a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at the which is the website for the podcast. You can leave a, leave a comment there and let us know what you thought of the week's TV or what you thought of Anne with an E. Um, you can also email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find us in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. You can also find us in Stitcher. and We would appreciate ratings and reviews both places. You can also uh, find us on Facebook, like the page, and start up a conversation there. You can find us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. Noel, you are? at
1: Noel RK.
0: I've got a couple more reviews of beep going up at the AV club. Uh but there's going to be radio silence on the writing front for a while. I'll have to come up with some more things to to, to argue about.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I was sort of like I I could have I actually considered tossing tossing you a writing thing somewhere because we needed someone to recap Doctor Who. <laughs> uh but then I just I don't want you to deal with Alex.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Doctor Who. Yeah, no, I'm I'm still caught up on Doctor Who. It was funny. Um uh I was talking to somebody and they're like, I don't know if you've seen this episode of Classic Who. I was like, Oh, apparently I have to remind you, I've seen every episode of Doctor Who that exists and also that no longer exists and has right. been reconstructed because I'm that flavor of nerd for Doctor Who. But um <laughs> yeah, I I'm just like I I like what they're doing now, but I still I'm just very looking forward to that the lovely reboot that may happen. And I was expecting to have so many things to pitch about American gods and then that hasn't happened. So we'll yeah. see what happens next. But
1: On the upside, like, I'll come back to Doctor Who once the new season starts. Because <laughs> <So>, I've <laughs> I'm been up. basically just wait, waiting out laughing at this point.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. we'll see. We'll see what happens with the the next incarnation. But we are far astray from where ah, we're ah, supposed ah. to be. So let's wrap it up there. Noel, as ever, thank you very much. And listeners, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.